On the show today, giant spoons, vampiric goons, and I didn't remember to write down the rest of this rhyme. In three, two, one... Uh, do you know what month it is? No longer April, it is May. It's actually, currently, May the 5th. Or the 5th of May, so it's Revenge of the 5th. Revenge of the 5th. What happens on the 6th of May? I think I think it's something with the with the Sith, maybe. Oh, I don't know if it yeah. has an actual name. I would certainly hope it would be Revenge of the 6th, but we've already done Revenge of the 5th. Yeah, you can't do two of those. Anyways. Well, I mean, Star happy... Wars has done two of those. <laughs> but anyway, um... Hey everybody, welcome to Total Pebble Knockdown. I am Obi-Wan Nathan Obi. Are, I, don't, I don't think you are. And you are R2 Alex 2. Alex 2D2? Alex 2D2. There you go. Uh, and let the Wookiee win? I don't know, it's no longer Star Wars Day. If you're listening when this comes every, out, that was last week, so happy belated Star Wars Day. Listen, every day is Star Wars Day in your heart. Uh, enough Star Wars, time to get into other stupid things. Let's try this. Yes. I, uh, I wasn't going to do a weekly muse this week, but then a story came across my table and I was like, well, we got to talk about this. I'm sorry. It was a story that I missed from last month, and I... I'm very sad that I missed it, but I gotta talk about it. I'm digging up old news and I like it already. Yeah, that's right. I'm digging this up. But Alex, they found the spoon! They found the spoon, Alex. You need more context. What spoon are we talking about? Okay. Okay. I I probably need to give you more context than that. Yes. I think everyone here needs more context. Okay. The title gives it away, but I don't know the title yet. let, let, Let me give you the headline. Giant spoon taken from Arizona Dairy Queen found thanks to Pokemon Go. Fuck. Okay. So, let me tell you this harrowing story. At the end of March, actually, uh, a uh, Phoenix, Arizona Dairy Queen, uh, which features this 15-foot-tall red plastic spoon outside the restaurant. I think you meant featured past tense at this point featured had it stolen by scofflaws in the middle of the night scofflaws yes scofflaws i say scoffed of laws they are the franchise manager uh raman kalra uh really begged them to give back the giant spoon uh i love this quote i appeal to the person this spoon is too big to eat anything we want you to bring it back. We will not ask any questions. <laughs> and, um, so, Pooja Kalra, the wife of, uh, of the owner, uh, said, We were kind of upset, but then more puzzled. What are they going to do with a spoon? Yeah, I was kind of wondering, like, I understand people steal stuff like that all the time because yes. they can i think is the thrill of it maybe yes but like a lot of things like that it's like what's the practical purpose of stealing it like are you gonna do something with this are you gonna sell it 
are who's gonna buy that are are you going to ransom it are you going to send like a, a proof of life with the little today's paper in front of the spoon you just have the end of the spoon in a little dairy queen blizzard cup yes yes exactly i'll send you a piece of this every day until you comply i need i need that the the ransom letter is written out of like blizzard letters from the dairy queen <laughs> in order yeah. to do but anyway, Sergeant Brian Bauer confirmed officers were called and are investigating. No suspects have been identified. I keep thinking to myself that the police in this investigation must have been trying not to laugh. But at any rate, um, this is something I found fascinating, though. This is one of the reasons they actually wanted the spoon back. Getting another spoon made, delivered, and then installed would cost over $7,000. Yeah, it's a big sign, essentially. So. It's a big spoon yeah that's that's a lot of a lot of custom work for it oh yeah absolutely now uh the uh, the cholras are a franchise manager so they own uh many of the dairy queens that are in the area but this is the only one that features a giant spoon and it was sort of a, a landmark where uh kids could like sit in the bowl of the spoon and take pictures outside the restaurant i guess you know it's a fun little Biggest kind of like spoon those big Adirondack things. chairs. Yeah, like the big Adirondack chairs that you can sit in. It's uh, fun, I guess. The staff at the Phoenix location started wearing Where's My Spoon t-shirts with a red spoon and the DQ logo. They had flyers to post at various branches around Metro Phoenix. The reward? One blizzard treat from every flavor of the summer menu. <laughs> That's pretty there worthwhile. But yeah, <laughs> I would do it just for the, the menu. Just for that. Just get me my blizzard on. But anyway, little yeah. known fact, though, first of all, I love Jerry Queen. I am a blizzard fanatic. <laughs> What's your favorite blizzard? I uh, probably Reese's peanut butter cup. Oh, yeah. But like, that's, that's you know, they, they have the different flavors and I'm like, got to try them. Yeah. I, uh. When I lived in the last place, I had a Dairy Queen down the street, like less yeah. than a mile away. I don't know where the closest one is to me here. I mean, I, I'm going to have to look. Cut to a few days later. Okay. We are now, it's April 3rd. Michael Foster, 52, was playing Pokemon Go when he spotted the 15-foot spoon around 7 a.m. It was lying on the ground behind a fence that surrounds a Phoenix Middle School baseball field just two miles from the scene of the heist. The first thing I did was send a picture to my wife and I said, It's the spoon! She said call the police, Foster told the Associated Press. Brian Bauer again, and again I just picture him trying not to laugh while he says this. I can confirm the Dairy Queen Red Spoon was located and recovered this morning. This is in an email, probably for the best. A school maintenance man came over and pushed it over the fence to Foster, who handed it to Phoenix Police. I set it down. They actually did the lifting after we got it over the fence, Foster said. They strapped it onto the top of the police cruiser. Alex, there's a picture here of a giant red spoon atop a police cruiser that I really, I really need you to see. I yeah, think I should that, probably... Yeah, share that, but also 
<laughs> in editing, this needs to be on the screen. Oh, this is on the screen right now. If I have not put it on the screen, everybody, I have not done my job anyway. Okay, I have a, a couple of questions. Okay. How, how big did you say this spoon was? 15 feet. How big is this car? Probably 20 feet. Okay, um, I guess I didn't think cars were 15 feet in length. <laughs> well, you know, in the right light. If you backlight it correctly, I mean, it could... I mean, is the, is the spoon be... coming off over the hood and down towards the ground then? Look, or? you know, it was probably cold at 7 a.m. Maybe the spoon shrunk a bit. But also, I feel like if you're going to put a spoon uh, with a with a bowl, uh, you know, the bowl part of the spoon. Yeah, 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 yeah. The part, I feel like if you're going to put that on top of a car, you transport it with that face down so the air goes over the curve and not into the curve because that's how you Al that's not how aerodynamics works Al alex they're strapping a giant spoon to the top of a car i don't think aerodynamics are their biggest concern at this point <laughs> i i don't necessarily think that was a big thing they had to had to think about at that moment robin cholera confirmed on that Monday that uh, he was on his way to pick up the spoon. Quote, We are happy to have our spoon back, and we are looking forward to the neighborhood creating more smiles and stories with this now world-famous spoon. The one problem is, is that I, this was a month ago, and I'm just finding out about it Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, I guess it didn't go as viral as you were thinking it might have. The one thing that is missing from this story is it mentions that Michael Foster was playing Pokemon Go, uh, and this is how he, he found the spoon. It does not say what Pokemon he was tracking. Sure, but it also said he had a wife, so I don't believe he was playing Pokemon Go. And he's 52. <laughs> he's 52, oh. and he has his wife, and he's out playing Pokemon Go at 7 you know, in the morning in Phoenix, Arizona. You know, sometimes people gotta stay active. It's the little things that help you stay active. We're, we're not gonna harsh too much on this guy doing his thing. No, absolutely not. You know what? When I'm 52, I'm probably gonna be doing something just as lame. It's probably probably true. Uh, and you know what? I'm gonna be uh, finding a Zapdos, hopefully, at that point. If You know, for getting a, a reward like that... Um, you should be able to get... Well, it would be an Ice-type Pokemon, I suppose, if you're gonna get rewarded with a Blizzard. I don't... I don't think Pokemon Go is rewarding them with the Blizzards. No, 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 but the, uh, people at the Dairy Queen, remember? They said that they, uh, they offered a reward of a free Blizzard treat for anyone who helped facilitate the Spoon's return. Although Foster did say that he doesn't need a reward, honestly, we're just glad they're gonna get their Spoon back. He said. They still haven't apparently found who stole the spoon. Uh, but, Alex, I'm gonna tell you this right now. My conspiracy theory brain is coming into play here. Because I think I know who stole the spoon. You ready for this? Frosty. That's a good answer. That's a good answer. <laughs> but no, I kept thinking to myself, who would need a spoon that big? And why uh, would you need a spoon? That in, uh, I mean, in Arizona? Yeah. Sasquatch. <laughs> I was thinking Yeti, but it's too hot. No, 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 no. So. Hear, hear me out. Cocaine bear. It was cocaine bear. What else would need a spoon that large, Alex? There's too much cocaine 
for him to get. He needs the spoon. Obviously, need to have a spoon. You can. Well, yeah, exactly. You don't do that with cocaine, but it's fine. <laughs> you can, or plastic spoons. I don't think that that's necessarily a good idea. But at any rate, uh, look, it could be cocaine bear. It could, and maybe it's not cocaine. We don't really know. They haven't found that. I don't know exactly the, you know, ins and outs, the mechanics of how they would have unscrewed with the claw. But the point is. Uh, we wanted to give you a good news story, and the good news story is that the giant plastic spoon is indeed back at the Dairy Queen, and, um, it is in part thanks to a mobile game known as Pokemon Go. Pokemon yeah, Go gaming. to the Dairy Queen! Yeah. This is the gaming-adjacent news. Welcome. <laughs> it has- it has something to do with games, and thus, I talk about it on the show. But let's face it, it was worth it for the stretch, wasn't it? It was <laughs> I guess it was- it was a thing. It was I now want a, a Blizzard, though. So, Dairy Queen sponsored this segment, please. We're just doing advertising for Dairy Queen, apparently. If anybody goes and uh, gets a, a Blizzard at Dairy Queen after hearing uh, us talk about this, let them know that you heard about this on Total Pebble Knockdown because maybe, maybe uh, we'll get blizzards too. Who knows? We'll, we'll start wearing the branding into Dairy Queen and kind it's of. It's going to be the blizzarding world of Dairy Potter. <laughs> You're welcome. Alex, uh, I've got a games you didn't think we'd play. For you. All right. What game did you not think you would play? Did well, I not think you would play? Maybe. Well, I, I feel like this is a little bit of a cheat because people might have thought that I was going to play this game um, just because I really have a an affection for Arcane Studios, and I've liked their games in the past, like you know, Dishonored and, and Prey. Uh, but anyway, the game that we're talking about is very recently released, Redfall, and um, you know, I had seen. The direct that they had done where they, they showed the footage and everything, and I was like, ah, okay, uh, that's a that's a game. About yeah, I've seen a little, I saw a little bit when they had the trailer, I think. I was a little concerned, to be honest with you, because I had just tried uh, Deathloop, which was also Arcane Studios, and um, I wasn't a big fan of Deathloop. I, I didn't like the, the gameplay loop, the, the idea that you had to assassinate all of these targets without dying because otherwise you go back to the beginning of the game and that's the loop of death that you go through and everything. Um, I wasn't a big wasn't a big fan of that. Yeah, um, I don't think I played uh, Deathloop. No, you probably haven't played much of From Arcane. Did, I played, you, did you play Dishonored? I played Loop Hero. No, I, didn't, I have Dishonored now, but I, I haven't played it. And you, I, I know that you didn't play Prey. I have that, and also have not played it. Yeah, because so no, I have not played much from Arcane. You have I've not played there. anything from Arcane, no. <laughs> um, which is too bad because like, Dishonored and Prey are excellent games. They're excellent games, and they were really great examples of the immersive sim. So when Redfall came out, they were like, "It's an immersive sim, but it's going to be more open world, and it can be a multiplayer game, and all of this, and you're going to go and you're going to hunt vampires, and there's a few different character classes that you can play." Terrific. Okay, fine. I guess I'll give it a try. And it launched a few days ago, and so I thought that I would... 
that, that I would try it. So, things don't start well. Let me see if I can explain this. When Arcade does a game, it has a tendency to really start you off feeling, as an immersive sim hopefully does, that you are in that world where you you are literally immersed in the game world right up at the front. You know, you think about Dishonored, and there's that part where you're, you're as Corvo, you're going up to that palace, and you are just absolutely engulfed in the framework of this game, and you're having these conversations with the characters, and they're right in your face and, and directly interacting with you. Prey, you're, you're in your apartment, you're, you go into the helicopter, look out over that city, and the music starts, and, and you're right there. In Redfall, they do this, like, um, still frame cutscene at the beginning of, like, key art, and they have a narrator telling you what the story is while those still frames are showing on screen. Not particularly immersive. And then, mm-hmm. and then after about five minutes of watching that, they have you on a boat. And you're, you're on this boat that has been beached because vampires somehow made the seas, like, rise up around you. But you didn't actually see that in a cinematic because there wasn't a cinematic. There was a, a still frame of key art that showed that to you. And when I started to see that, I was like, now, I've seen this style before, but it's usually on, like, top-down or smaller indie games where they don't have fully rendered characters in the game. So it's weird that they chose to do that here, and I could only think that maybe they were doing it because of budgetary reasons. But then, when I get on the boat, it kind of, like, blurs your vision, and as your vision unblurs... There's a vampire feeding in front of you, and the vampires are coming towards you. And then, like, a vampire queen comes through the door and kind of goes, Oh, yeah, I, I was hoping that I'd meet you. And then there's a sunlight thing that happens, and they all go away, and you have to get off of the boat. Now, now, so I, I'm getting the impression at that point, Oh, there are fully rendered characters in this game. Okay, so that's something. I don't know why we did the keyframe thing to begin with but okay we're fine and then i i start moving around the boat the controller insists on taking me from about zero to a hundred in terms of the speed of my mouse cursor where like uh like i'll start moving a little bit and it's doing nothing and then i move it a little bit more and my head whips around to the other side of the screen and then they actually introduce me to combat and the first thing that you fight is a vampire queen no they're just dudes oh okay they're just people because this town is not just populated with vampires, you see. It's mostly populated with just these human cult members. And they worship the vampires? Yeah, kinda. Sorta. It's unclear. But they do, they do say that they are cultists. These cultists, with my starting pistol, could be taken down in one shot to the head. Or pretty much two shots to anywhere else on their body. So there's that. It specifically states at the beginning that you can play your way. And I liked that idea because that's what you figure an immersive sim is. I'm going to have different ways to address an issue. You can be stealthy. Or you can go straight up to the enemies. But when I started to realize how easy it was to dispatch the enemies, 
I stopped thinking that stealth was actually a useful thing to do at all, because there didn't seem to be much reason to it. Um, and uh, so it's, yeah. you can stealth, but honestly, you'd be fine running and gunning. I was. I found it was usually more effective uh, than anything else. If I did any kind of stealth, it was uh, mostly to try and position myself in a better spot so I could open fire on the enemies therein. Uh, but there is also this other problem, which is that most of the enemies are uh, stupid. And yeah, so I saw something about the AI of the general, general enemies being rather dumb. Let me see if I can explain this to you uh, in these terms. So I go into one of these buildings where it's like the vampire lair, right? There's the vampire layers. And they, they have me go through this building, and there's this locked door, and it's got this like blue light coming from underneath the door. And I'm like, oh, there's probably something bad in there. But it's a locked door, and you need a specific key. So I, I go through, like, to the basement. I, I get this key. And it's a key to the to the master bedroom. Okay, so I go I go back to the key, and I, I unlock the door. And there, like, just suspended in air is a vampire. But it's not just a vampire. It's a named vampire. It's like Ooh. Nurse Ada or something. Okay? And I go up to the vampire. It does nothing. It's just hovering in the air. I'm a foot away from it. Pop, pop, dead. Five seconds. Done and dusted. <laughs> Literally dusted. Usually your named characters take a bit more damage before they die. Yes. Yes, usually they, they do. I've been playing World of Warcraft and there are these big bosses that pop up every so often on the island that you're doing on, on for Dragonflight because they're part of each part and they just yes. kind of respawn every in a rotation okay. I, I can't just go up to one of these guys with yeah. over a million hit points and kill them in two hits i don't really need enemies to be damaged sponges i don't like damaged sponges because sometimes sure. it's just sometimes they just add a, another health bar just to lengthen the, the combat but sure again this is arcane boss battles in arcane are these mysteries of how you're going to address them and how you're going to get around them and, and how you're going to trick them. Like, I remember in Dishonored 2 that there was like a whole ball you have to attend for this target. You have to infiltrate the party. You have to find a mask. You have to go through the rafters or you have to get an invitation to get in there. And you have to figure out a way to like drug the person and get them out of the uh, out of the party. And there's like a whole thing you gotta do. And if you fail at that and you alert the guards, there's a million guards on you immediately. And there's sirens blaring and everybody's freaking out. And so you gotta really think this stuff through and how you're going to address an issue. In Redfall, I I hit a trigger twice, and the the boss is dead. So you remember that thing where I said maybe they had the still frames because there are no like character animations or characters in the game. Well, that illusion gets shaken pretty quickly because you get to the fire station, clear out the fire station. By the way, I'm going to say that there is one major problem with the fire station. They put a fire pole in there and you cannot slide down the fire pole. want to point that out. If you put a fire pole in a game, you better be able to slide down the fire pole. Just saying. Yeah, it's like putting dogs in games that you can't pet. Don't do it. Not acceptable. I'm sorry. That pretty much just took me out of the experience altogether. But the point is, get to the fire station, clear out the fire station, and you save people that are, you know, hiding out 
behind a door. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, cool, there are people behind the door. As soon as I open the door, it gets to another one of those static cutscenes where I'm just seeing the painted key art of the characters coming out and saying thank you for the for saving them. And then they show these other key arts of them cleaning up the fire station to turn it into a safe house. And I'm thinking, oh, I guess I don't interact with them at all. Except after they do that, the characters in full 3D rendered models are just hanging out around the firehouse. So why didn't I just have a cutscene where they were talking to me directly to keep me in the action because it's an immersive sim, right? I, I want to be immersed. Yeah. You would you would think it'd be easier to just do that than to have different art made. You would think instead of an engine and an in in engine, engine yeah. cutscene. You would think them calling this an immersive sim is very very generous to to immersive sims in general. Yeah, I feel like I wouldn't call any game that's a like first person shooter kind of game an immersive sim. It, there's a lot of reasons why I wouldn't really necessarily call this an immersive sim. One of them is the rarity uh, color-coded loot system, which does not feel like it makes sense in, in an immersive sim, to be honest with you. Uh, uh, but more importantly than that... Yeah, that's that's more of a looter shooter than it, anything. It is. And, and I would have really liked it if they were more interesting, but chances are if you're getting like the green and the blue and the purple and the orange rarities, they're the same basic weapon as you had when they were just the white version but with some stat bonuses on them. It's not like in Borderlands, where if you get a legendary weapon, it functions completely differently. It has, it's like a special red text weapon. Um, these are yeah. just like, here's a stake launcher, or here's your UV gun, or here's your sniper rifle, but it's purple now, so it also gets a 25% damage bonus. Here's the legendary, or the unparalleled, I think is what they call it in this, the unparalleled rarity. Uh, of the uh, shotgun, uh, and it has a, a really cool look to it, and it has a special stake in the front, so that when you go up to vampires, it looks even cooler when you, you stake them with the shotgun. That's Does fun. it do more damage because of the stake? No, the whole thing about vampires in this game is that you can deal damage to them with a regular weapon, but stakes are what really does it, and you can, you can only, like, kill them with a stake. So the stake has to be on your weapon, and if you have a weapon that doesn't have a stake, it can't actually kill the vampire. So you have to switch to a weapon that does have the stake in order to do it. Well, that's what they tell you at the beginning, but it actually turns out UV, fire, setting them on fire because they were next to a car explosion, those also apparently killed the vampire, so. And then there's a stake launcher where you can just snipe them from like 50 feet away like I did a couple times. Uh, with a stake to the head that kills them. I saw th three different kinds of enemies. Uh, there are the human enemies, uh, there are the vampires, and then there was something called a blood bag, which is basically a human that has like a blood on them that I guess vampires use to feed. Um, they're, they're basically humans that just have this big sack that you can shoot. Do they explode? A little bit. I mean, you get blood all over your clothes. It's not fun. It's not fun. Um, you get four different character classes to pick from. I ended up choosing the, um, what, the uh, occultist guy? He has, like, um, 
spiritual necromancy stuff. He's got a raven. He can he can send his raven out, and it uh, highlights enemies for him. I only picked that because my cat was with me at the time, and when I was going through the character classes, I was like, "Hey, Pepper, which one do you like?" And when she saw the one that had the raven, she put her paw in my hand. As if to say, that one, Nathan, you take that one. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> I'll take that one. There's a lot of open-worldly stuff where, like, you can go on specific missions and areas, liberate different areas, and you start to realize that this does have, like, a lot of the open-world elements that you're used to in a lot of these big sandboxy kind of games. Um, but there's not a lot of content to it. You probably also saw, if you heard anybody talk about it, that they're... There's a bit of sparseness to this. Um, yeah. I went into the church where the reverend had fled. Like, the reverend, and it, it was a sanctuary that they had set up, and you get the impression that they probably left because there were all these vampires in the church. I go into the church. I go into every room in the church. I open the doors to the main room. I go up into the eaves. There's nothing in the church. There's no enemies in the church at all. There's no vampires in the church. There's no humans set up in the church. There's plenty of supplies in the lobby that you would think somebody would want. Tons of water. No enemies in the game. There was something that was pointed out when I was reading one of the reviews uh, where they were talking about Warren Spector. And Warren Spector was the guy who made the original Deus Ex. And um, right. he was talking about this idea of what the immersive sim is supposed to be. And uh, the, the immersive sim for him was that, like, the old way that you would do game design was you had to find the key for the door, and then when you found the key for the door, you could open the door and you could proceed on to the rest of the game. And in an immersive sim, there should be all these different ways that you can address the door when the door is locked. You could, you could pick the lock, you could kick it in, you could blow it up, you could get somebody to open the door for you. And Redfall will kind of do that where you can have a lock pick uh, or, or something like that but you really can't kick in the doors you can't really punch the doors I could punch in windows sometimes they would allow you to get in from the second story of a building but the procedure is pretty much still the same I, I go through the building I uh, you know hit the enemies with my one hit and stuff and then uh, I move on to the next thing and they say my vampire lair is clear congratulations it, it fundamentally it doesn't change any of the story it doesn't change how the landscape works it doesn't change the world or or the narrative it doesn't change your character's story arc even when you're talking to the people themselves you don't actually have a dialogue tree you just walk up to them and they start talking and just say so you'll do that mission now and you get a mission log it says that you do. You don't actually interact with them. I don't know what happened to Arcane. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like um, they went from what was the last game they made Dishonored to. Well, it was Deathloop, which was Deathloop, right? Interesting, okay. but not my cup of tea. But no, they they went from Prey and Dishonored to this, and I'm getting the impression that maybe immersive sims don't work very well for open world settings. Uh, that, that, that doesn't seem to work very well because, like, one of the great things, although Prey was kind of open world, but the thing that was really great about Dishonored and Prey is that as you're going through the game and as you're experiencing the game and doing the story missions and stuff, the world around you changes. 
the world around you molds to the decisions that you've made in the game. In Prey, if you um, take too many of these, like, Typhon, like, alien upgrades, the turrets, the security systems in the game, will not recognize you as human anymore, and will start attacking Great. you. Perfect, I love if, that. If you, if you do that. As you keep progressing in the story, more Typhon appear in areas where you previously were. You know, all of a sudden there's more shadow monsters where once there were not. In Dishonored, if you kill a lot of people instead of knocking them out, the plague gets worse. These weepers keep showing up. There's more rats in the streets. Um, the, the world gets more and more and more dystopic and chaotic if you've created the chaos in that game. If you play carefully and you don't kill people and you knock them out and you try to place them aside, the weepers don't show up. The plague doesn't continue. The, the rats don't profligate when you go back to the city over and over again. In Redfall, it's the same thing over and over again with just some basic open world elements of go here, collect this loot box that has a few things in it, uh, and move on to the next thing. And that is a disappointment to me in so many ways. <laughs> yeah, it pretty much it just sounds like the entirety of the experience is just a disappointment. It is, and what was funny is that recently I played another game too that was called Ghostwire Tokyo. In that one, you are also dealing with supernatural forces in a uh, like an open world city that has like open world elements where you have to use supernatural abilities to destroy them. And surprisingly, both of these games also have, like, mysterious fog areas that you cannot cross without getting damaged. And what's really weird is, so I mentioned Red Falls from Arcane, and Arcane is one of the studios that Bethesda owns. Uh, Ghostwire Tokyo is from Tango Gameworks, which is also a studio that Bethesda owns. Which is all owned by Microsoft now. Right. and uh, But I'm sitting here thinking to myself, maybe this is not the kind of game that Bethesda or its studios is really supposed to be making, like these open-world first-person action games. Because when I started thinking back on it, it's like, what did the other studios do? Okay, so, the, so like, id. id is one of their studios. What was the last one that they did? Like, Rage 2 is the last time they tried this open-world, like, action collect-a-thon sandbox. And it wasn't very good it was okay but it was kind of mid and then what was like uh when machine games did one uh it was wolfenstein young blood the worst of the wolfensteins and i don't know if they're just green lighting it because they needed content to come out i don't know i played a game recently i'm not gonna get into it now but it was it was a loot, uh, shooter looter kind of game also but not open world oh okay and it was still mid at best yeah maybe in another bit. maybe in another game you didn't think we'd play we could talk yeah about that it. or i'll talk about it on the on the live maybe a bit okay i started playing it before i saw any of the reviews i like started playing it the day after it launched basically and I, yeah it's sitting at like when i looked at it yesterday i think it was that mostly negative like 1500 reviews on steam a thousand of them were negative. A lot of these issues started for me before I heard anybody else talk about it. And I sat there and I kind of go, thought to myself, it feels a little like an arcane game. There's something that isn't working for me. 
and I couldn't really pinpoint it. And I think I, I needed other people to explain it in better terms before I could really pinpoint what I was seeing and what I was feeling. But those initial moments with the game where I'm like, it's really weird that they're presenting the game in this way and the structure of the game and how it's laid out. It feels like they wanted to create like a multiplayer more experience rather than a single player, which is not what I want in an immersive sim at all. Um, I don't want a color-coded rarity system where I just pick up a bunch of guns. Uh, I, I don't want to just deal with a bunch of generic enemies. I, I want something that's more personalized than that, and I want the story to evolve and the world to grow as, as time goes on. It's not even the technical issues of it, even though there are technical issues with it. It's that the game itself doesn't really function very well. Like, you'd have to do a lot of work to make it fun. Yeah. In a, in a way that it isn't right now. Oh, I should have also mentioned, this is something that a lot of reviews didn't talk about, but um, if you die, because occasionally they'll just swarm you with enemies out of nowhere for reasons. Yeah, it's my favorite. My favorite, yeah. Um, it, when you die, um, they basically reload you to the nearest fast travel point. You lose absolutely nothing in the process. The punishment for dying is basically, I have to now remember where I was and run back to that location. Oh, the reason I say I have to remember where I was is because they do not automatically give you uh, drop points on the map for your mission objectives. Uh, I, I have to go to my map, and I have to specifically ping an area where my mission objective is. <sighs> I so, feel like the meta um, here would be to get to where you want to go, do the objective and find a way to die so you can just get right back to your fast travel point. That would uh, probably do... You know what? If anyone speedruns the game, do that. Because it's yeah. probably <laughs> the easiest thing for you to, to do. The fun thing that happened to be the one time, though, because I did wonder if like the uh, environment interacted with itself at any point. And I ran across this area where there were like dudes in a firefight, and it wasn't with me. And I thought, oh, cool. Uh, and it seemed like there was, like, the one mercenary group, I think they're Bellwether, and then, like, the Hollow Man cultists were, like, fighting each other. And I was like, oh, cool, so the environment will actually work with itself. But then I realized that the, the thing that I could just do is I just waited until the firing stopped, and there was one dude left, and I shot him once in the head, because obviously not very hard. And, um, and then I just collected all the loot. Did they all drop loot? They all drop stuff. What the fuck? Also, Usually games like that, uh, enemies don't drop loot unless you're the one to kill them. Well, okay, so this is a... While I'm, while I'm complaining, <laughs> they will all have, like, guns with them, different kinds of guns, but you can't pick up those guns. You yeah, most games them. don't do that, even though that would be the thing would, you think they would... You know, do. Right. I also wouldn't think that there would be ammunition limits. That, and there are? Yeah. yeah. I hate that. There, You cannot pick up more than, like, oh god, 15 stakes to start for your stake launcher. And it's like, they keep dropping ammunition all over the place, but it's like, why can't I just pick up whatever I got in the thing? They do it because there's upgrades, and there's upgrades to upgrade the ammunition counts that you can have for different weapons. And get rid of those! Yeah, exactly. Game design point, tip 101. Yeah. Don't limit the amount of, unless you're going for, like, a survival thing where weight is a factor. 
Yeah. Don't limit the amount of ammunition you can carry. Right. Right. And if you have a skill tree dedicated to how much ammo I can carry, yeah. remove it for something more fun. Yeah. This, again, if you're doing an immersive sim, that doesn't make sense. If you wanted to have an ammo count that took up space in an inventory, and then you could manage how much ammunition you wanted to carry with you at any time. That would make more sense. That's that. I've done that. I've seen that plenty of times. That makes perfect sense, but... It's not. It's just like an arbitrary count that you have for the guns that you use. There's all these skill trees. And as I was going through the skill trees, I kept thinking to myself, what among these skill trees do I even want? Because <laughs> th these, these upgrade my ammo capacity. These give me more health for my allies when I heal them, but I'm playing by myself. These increase my regeneration abilities when I'm down to, like, 30% health, but by the time I'm there, I'm either dead or it never happens. These are uh, things that give me extra headshot damage to humans, but again, I can headshot them with one shot already, so why am I doing that? And then everything else is, like, for your special abilities, but I didn't even want to invest in those, because I never used my raven, because I never needed to spotlight where the enemies were, because the second I walked up, I saw all of these little, like, yellow question marks that were immediately over the heads of every enemy that I couldn't see, who was curious <laughs> about the sound that was being made in the first place, so I automatically knew where they all were. And then I could just kind of, like, walk slightly over to the side and ping them in the head, because they don't they're not very observant. So I, I kept thinking to myself, like, I don't even know why I have an upgrade tree. There's not a lot that I even want <laughs> for the skill yeah. tree upgrades. Felt like when I was playing um, Borderlands, and I was just like, I don't want half of this shit. What the fuck? The original Borderlands especially, uh, there's yeah. not great. They did better in later iterations with, like, what you got. But, uh, yeah, it's um, the, the skill trees were, yeah. So anyway, yeah, Redfall, I don't know what happened. This is like Twilight, but video game. Uh, but also, not sparkly vampires, and also does not have Robert Pattinson or Kristen Stewart. Probably and be better if they did. I really wish that they did. Do you understand that if they actually had a Twilight story in this that had those characters in it, it would have been a better story? It would have been a better story and more interesting, and the characters would have been fun. I, I want that. Can we make a Twilight mod for Redfall? Please. I need a Twilight mode for Redfall. This has <laughs> been a uh, soapbox of a games you didn't think we'd play. And uh, I don't think I'm going back to it. So if you improve upon it now, Arcane, I'm sorry. I'm pretty much pieced out. So. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people probably have. Yeah, so anyway, uh, that was a lot. Let's move on to something more interesting. Alex, I got a crit think for you, because I saw this uh, thing pop up in one of the forums. The poster writes, My players have taken some wildly inaccurate notes. Should I correct them? I maintain a Discord for use with my D&D &D game that has, among other various channels, a place for players to freely jot down notes and keep track of NPCs they've met. 
Recently, I poked my nose into there and realized they had noted down information about an important antagonist's loyalties that was, frankly, completely incorrect. <laughs> I know for a fact that the information they got in character was from an accurate and reputable source, and it seems to me that they just misheard or misinterpreted that information in the moment, because I, as the DM, definitely did not say or did not mean to say what they had written down. This may pr later prove important, as the allegiance between this antagonist and larger forces at work is tenuous and could be exploited by a clever party to turn evil upon itself. Were you the DM, would you correct this error on the part of your players, or would you allow them to be wrong and let it bite them later? Any advice on how to approach this would be appreciated. Okay. Okay. So pull that up myself. The upshot here. Players have written down notes incorrectly. And it's kind of important because it's main characters in the storyline. And it could be make or break. Do we correct the error? Or do we let them be wrong? So they obtained information from a second party in-game. Yes. From a source. Maybe they interpreted it incorrectly. Um, Maybe they did? Which, in that case, 100% don't correct them. If they get information... We went over this before. Uh, in a different segment. If your player characters or your characters receive information and they believe it to be true or false, that is on them. Yes. Um, so, like, if they go, oh, this is totally incorrect information, but we 100% believe it. Yeah. And it, I think it was about the big, uh, the evil guys, like, their the weaknesses. The evil guy, yeah, weaknesses. Yeah. So it's like, if you get information that this guy's allergic to silver, and you fully believe it, and you come prepared with silver, and he's not allergic to silver, that's on you. And if all of the players are apparently on the same page of being wrong, I'm... I'm particularly concerned, uh, because you would think that in-game, the players who had correct information could try to corroborate it and say, wait, that's not what I heard, and they could actually deal with this. But if they all literally got this, th this information collectively wrong, I can't help you. I don't want to correct you for that. This would have been correct information. If they noted it down wrongly, it's because... They did so of their own volition or not paying attention. So, me personally, uh, no, I wouldn't correct them, but I would actually go a step further. I want to utilize that for the story. I want to utilize that so that we, we actually take that incorrect information and we work off of it to build the story that's even better. So they've received incorrect information, and it's the difference between, like, an antagonist and larger forces at work that's tenuous. And so they use that incorrect information. And I set this up so that now they're the catalyst for this bigger problem to present itself because of the incorrect information that they've received. Yeah. I would go with the let them be wrong and let it bite them later. But more importantly, yeah. make sure that that biting is even more story rich than it would have been. <laughs> yeah, On honestly, if... It's not your fault. It was misinterpreted. Yes. Like, if the characters, if the players just believe this 
It's like, this person gave us information, but I don't trust them. Yeah. You know, if they're not going to communicate, if they're not going to do, you know, checking the person's motives or seeing if they're lying or anything like that, if they don't do any of that and they just want to firmly believe, this guy's lying to us. Or this guy's telling the truth. You know, that's on them. Let that drive the story. Right. Right. Players do not, uh, players and characters don't have to go with every single machination that you put into your story and they often won't right so if you write the story one way and they go oh shit this thing not true we're gonna do this you can still let them do it write it into the story then be like yeah so party thinks he's allergic to silver jokes on them he's into that shit (laughs) and it turns out that skeletor was your enemy the entire time yeah perfect (laughs) um but yeah you you make it you make it make sense uh, because, again, uh, I think that we talked about this on the last episode about free will. I think characters do have free will to make terrible, terrible decisions uh, and to be wrong and let them be wrong because it's going to be an important lesson for them later. If you're just going to correct their behavior and say, oh, no, you got these notes wrong, then they will not try paying attention in the future. You want to tell them that, yay, you should have paid better attention or ask some other questions here so that they uh, they pay attention in the storyline in the future. This is something that would happen in real life. And if you want it to be immersive, you figure that it would happen in game. There's an edit to this post at the end oh, good. Uh, that says thanks for your input everyone seems the general feeling is I should correct this misunderstanding and that it wouldn't be obtrusive to do so so that's what I'll do you got bad information that's not the answer <laughs> I, not- I feel like it depends on your your player group obviously like <laughs> if if I was gonna do that it would not be with a group of new players no who just got something wrong it would be with an established group. It'd be like, all right, you guys clearly think this. I might check with them, ask them about their notes beforehand. Be like, all right, what what were your notes from before that you have? So they can read over it. And then as a group, they might go, oh, shit, we took that note wrong without you prompting it. Yeah. Or you could just even even then you could like prompt it. Be like, hey, just uh, wanted to double check your notes. Is everything you got there correct? Right, right. This is also helpful at the beginning of the session where you're kind of like going, okay, where did we leave off? Does anyone want to tell us uh, what we were what we were doing? You know, gives gives them that prompt. Um, There's also the possibility, too, that if you happen to know that they're, you know, new players or they're not familiar with the system and maybe they did get something wrong or misinterpreted, maybe you can present another opportunity where you can provide information that would be correct give them another good old pass to say oh wait that's not what i thought was happening oh so it's this you know they come across a document that states the information outright and maybe they maybe they get it that way if they've searched for it you know reward them for doing more investigation into it something to that effect you can you can be subtle about it you don't have to just outright say okay so listen you guys are shit at taking notes so I'm going to tell you what the story is so that you can write it down correctly. Okay, plebs? You don't have to do that. And I would encourage people not to do that because that seems like a really easy way to take people out of the experience. But if you, but you could subtly lead them back onto the path with the correct information or at least give them a second try. However, if you get a second try and they still screw it up, 
it all bets are off. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just doing all bets are off at that point. <laughs> I, I, I am not helping you anymore. This yeah, is you can't on be you too heavy-handed with that because if players want to do a thing the way they want to do it too. They're, they're or they just it. want to stick to their guns, and it's like, all right, well, okay. you guys are obviously going to do the thing you want to do, so it's fine. Yeah, exactly. You just kind of roll with it. Exactly. Hey, listen, if you have players that meet the dragon and swear that the way you greet dragons is by punching them in the nose, and you cannot deter them from that, and you can give them a piece of material that says, dragons actually don't like getting punched in the nose. I don't know if you're aware. They don't like getting booped in the snoot. Yeah, do not boop a dragon snoot. Um, do not boop the dragon snoot. If you keep giving them that and they kind of go, I still want to do it. All right. I'm, I'm done trying. I've, I've tried. I have failed. It's on you now. Go for it. You aggroed the dragon. The dragon burns you to a crisp. Congratulations. Crispy. Crispy. You know, if it's, if it's an obvious mistake that they just didn't hear it correctly or maybe you didn't say it correctly especially if it's on on the case of the dm not explaining it correctly i'm more forgiving in that case like <laughs> you know if it's if it's a problem with the person running the game did not give the information out the way that they intended uh i'm a little bit more forgiving but if you've made it clear and you've tried to get them to where they're supposed to be and they're still still not paying attention and they're still not taking notes correctly yeah then they're gonna have to get punished for it uh and and i say punished in terms of making it make sense for the story not just making it hell for them because they didn't do what you wanted them to do yeah don't just kill players the way i do apparently (laughs) hey you know what they did want to go out into the woods and uh hunt a boar right so I warned them anyways. <laughs> yeah. The, the the boars, the bears. The, let me tell you about the the boars and the bears, kids. <laughs> if it's a literal misunderstanding about like playing telephone and getting information from one person to another to another, I I suppose that's one thing, but there's there's other ways to do that besides just outright saying, "Hey, you did it wrong." You can uh, you can make that a little bit more subtle and put it in game so that it's more of the role playing experience. I guess we can uh, post a question to everyone out there, since this is a crit think. Should you tell your players they are wrong? Why not? Maybe it's fun. Maybe they'll storm out of your game, telling you you're a jerk. Maybe they will. Is that worth it? Let us know in the comments down below. Get those comments. Don't stop. Tell us how you shouldn't tell your players they're wrong. Yep, don't stop, get it, get it. Uh, Or don't stop, Reddit, Reddit. Alex, this has been all the pebbles that we can knock down for the day, and uh, I wanted to say thank you to everybody who listened. Uh, Alex, if uh, folks wanted to find out more about all the pebbles that they can knock down totally, where could they go on the internet? You can find all sorts of information over at TotalPebbleKnockdown.com. TotalPebbleKnockdown.com, where you can find all of the episodes of this show, of uh, Titanium Mine. You can find some wonderful artwork by 
uh, Crave on Creatures, and you can also click on our Patreon banner where we have some exclusives for our patrons, including full-length uh, video episodes that go up before any of the segments ever release, and some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, or basically what we would refer to as the crap that uh, doesn't make it into the show. And uh, so you can enjoy conversations that. that are not on topic. Conversations that are not on topic, nor well, more not on topic than the actual episode itself. So <laughs> there's there's that. Uh, and uh, feel free to check us out on every podcast app known to mankind. And you can also find us on social media. I am at Citanium. I am sometimes at EXP Limited, and our show is at Pebble Knockdown. So you can catch up on all of the goings on over there. Uh, and so with that, I think that we can finally get out of here. Um, I want to find a giant spoon to try and take on some vampires right now. What are you going to use the spoon to take on the vampires for? It's not a wooden spoon with a steak on the end, is it? No, no, but you know what I could do? I could fill that spoon up with holy water and use it like a catapult. Fling the holy water onto the... Ballista. Like a ballista. I need a giant red spoon ballista that I can fling onto the vampires. That would have made that game a whole lot more interesting. That would have really improved Redfall if I could have had a giant holy water ballista. But here we are. Thank you for joining us. We will see you on the next one. Goodbye for now. Bye. Great. Giant spoon taken from Arizona Dairy Queen found thanks to Pokemon Go. Even better, because it just stopped. I didn't catch any of that. It okay. stopped literally when you're like, let me yeah, get the headline. Thought... And... Okay, yeah, okay. Okay, the anticipation is mounting. Okay, Alex, I'm going to read you this headline.